0: You'd open your Bibles to the Book of Ephesians, Ephesians five. Let's pray. Father, as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, we ask, Lord, that you will grant to us a an understanding of how our relationship with you works how it is father that you work in us and how you change us how we are to live how we relate to you on a daily basis how that works itself out in the way we live and in our pursuit of holiness that father we may live rightly before you that father we may understand what it means to walk with you on a on a daily basis that, Father, as the word says, that we may be filled with your spirit. And so, Father, we ask that you grant us the ability to really wrap our minds around those things that Paul is telling us here in this chapter. And so we thank you, Father, again, as always, because you are with us and you seek to work your word into our hearts and lives, helping us to understand it and giving to us the desire that we need to want to understand and to apply it to the way that we live. And so we thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 5, beginning in 17, Paul writes, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give me thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So you can tell by your notes, we're beginning with the seventh point. We're not going to review the previous six because that would take a while um, to do that. And I do think that even if you weren't here last week and you don't, uh, obviously don't have time to go back and and to listen to those because we're here this evening, uh, I do think that even though there is some overlap that you will... Uh, soon enough kind of be on track with us and where we're headed with all of this. The main thing that we're doing as we work our way through this is not only to understand what Paul is telling us here, but at the same time to try to unravel, maybe undo uh, some of the things that we've been exposed to for many, many years as believers. And one of those main ideas that uh, has unfortunately come out of this passage uh, is the idea that as, as we seek to follow the Lord, and as we, as we pursue sanctification, as we pursue holiness, it's kind of been presented to us that we are to almost seek an experience. It's not said that way at times, but that is kind of the idea that we need to kind of empty ourselves. We, we need to confess our sins, all known sin there is, and, and go through all this kind of self-cleansing. They don't present it as self-cleansing, but that's, in the end, that's kind of what it is. So that you can kind of put yourself in a position so you can then be filled with the Spirit. And then when that takes place, all kinds of good things will happen. And it's not, you know, it's not a teaching where all these good things, you'll be doing miracles and speaking in tongues. It's not that. Uh, It really is about you and I walking close to the Lord and being led by the Lord. But we've been kind of misled. And And so as a result of that, it's opened the door to a lot of misunderstandings about the Lord, about the way we are to live our life, the relationship we have with the Lord and how we progress in our sanctification. So we've kind of been looking at uh, going all the way back to chapter 2 and kind of drawing some things from that as we, as we go back to look at what we we're given here in chapter 5, and in particular verses 17 through 21, Kind of make, to, to make sure that we're kind of well-grounded and that we're, we're in the right direction. So the seventh thing, the seventh point that we were getting at uh, last week was that when you look at the prayers of Paul, Paul was praying for believers to be filled unto all the fullness of God, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, or you could put it this way, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So again, as we as we kind of go back to what we mentioned last week, remember what Paul says here in verse 17, A, don't be under, uh, unwise, and B, understand. And so again, we're very much engaged with our mind and our thinking. We're to be thinking biblically. We want to make sure that uh, the lens that we use in thinking about our life and in thinking about the Bible, again, is the lens of Scripture and, and looking at, at what he's saying. What we are trying to do is we are trying to get rid of the idea that there's some form of mystical or mysticism in this. We're, this is not, we're not trying to achieve a level within Christianity. We're not shooting for a particular kind of feeling uh, different believers are going to have different feelings and emotions as they live their Christian life. That's fine. We're not trying to promote that there's one kind of feeling that we're all going to have or that there's one kind of feeling that's superior to all the rest. That uh, this is very much more, um, I don't want to say basic. Uh, maybe we could say that it's much more earthy it's, it, because this is something that's available for all believers, period. And not for a select few or for a select number who have some kind of special secret or in uh, with the leading of the Spirit of God. So when we read the Bible, first of all, let me just remind you of this. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we think of the Bible and we read it only in individualistic terms. It's not necessarily bad, per se. And we do live in a very individualistic age. But here, Paul is speaking to a congregation and he's praying For this congregation as a whole. It is made up of individuals, but he's still praying for them as a group. So his concern appears that for the uh, foremost, that the congregation as a whole grows in spiritual maturity. So that doesn't mean that he's not praying for individuals to grow in maturity, because he is. But the idea is that we as a group are growing as believers, and we're going to be growing at different rates, so to speak. But He wants to see this congregation as a congregation mature. And so in the life of a church, that should be one of the goals for for the church as a whole. Even though there's there's going to be an influx of new believers, and the speed of that kind of depends on the era you you live in as well as the area that you live in and all those types of things, but even though there's going to be an influx of new believers, the church as a whole should still continue to mature. The, The new believers that come into a church after the church has been established for 30 years in essence, should almost be growing at a much quicker rate than the new believers that came into the church when the church was 10 years old. Because there's a larger number of individuals that are more mature, that are thinking in the same kind of way. It's not that we're seeking to to think robotically. It's not that we all are thinking exactly the same. But in a sense, our approach to Scripture is going to more and more often kind of... not become narrow, but kind of come together. We're all going to be on the same page. And so what will happen then is a new believer comes into our midst. He will be exposed or she will be exposed to more and more people who are thinking in the same manner. And then that will have a cumulative effect on them and it would affect them at a much faster rate. Uh, In the same way that if all of a sudden, you know, if you're in a home, let's say in your home you have a large family and if in your family you're the only one who's been told by the doctor that you need to eat healthy and no one else eats healthy, you're going to really struggle. It's going to take a while for you to kind of get that discipline down. But if you're in a family where everyone is pretty much on the same page, and that same page is pretty much we're, we're going to do everything we can to try to eat more healthy, where well you're going to advance much quicker in your discipline in that diet and the effects of the diet that the doctor wants to have in life will appear much sooner than it would in the other uh, situation because of the influence of the larger group. It's just the same kind of idea uh, that that is uh, taking place here. So Paul's, again, his foremost concern is for the congregation to grow in spiritual maturity um, uh, rather than for individuals to transition from carnality into spiritual effectiveness. And that's the other area that we've kind of touched on from time to time. Uh, the passage where he talks about not being carnal We're not saying there's no such thing as a carnal Christian in the sense that there are times that we can live in the flesh, but being a carnal Christian is not a category. In other words, there's no such thing as a person who would be a fleshly uh, Christian and they're in that state for X number of years until they reach a point to where they completely surrender to God. So there are times you and I will struggle in our Christian life and we will be fleshly uh, in the way that we're living our life. But that's not a a category that a person kind of gets stuck in. And, of course, that's led to a lot of bad theology. And uh, I talked about the circle last week and the throne and all that. We're not going to go through that again. But that's kind of where all that comes from. So the idea, then, is that he wants the church to be a spirit-filled church. And, of course, that then assumes that the members are spirit-filled. So, again, to summarize, Paul's expression, then, to be filled with the spirit in verse 18, again, is in contrast to being drunk with wine. So he is enjoining believers to exhibit a wise and a maturing lifestyle which is to be expressed in corporate praise and worship as well as proper Christian relationships. So there's again we're searching for a maturity as believers that when it comes to our religion to our being Christians what what we want to do is, is, is we together sing praises to the Lord. We will do that better more enthusiastically because we're all maturing. Uh, we are going to Uh, our worship will deepen because, again, we we all understand why we're coming. And so we are, again, doing that together and seeking to encourage each other. And then our relationships are going to also reveal that our relationships should be much more Christ-centered. Again, we're not saying that you never talk about things that aren't necessarily biblical, but no matter what we talk about, There's always going to be a biblical mindset or a biblical slant. Uh, There's always going to be a concern about uh, spiritual things and the things of God. Uh, uh, More and more people are going to be thinking at the same time as to whatever we're talking about. How does it relate to the Bible what the Bible says? Uh, There's there's going to be that desire for us to continue to pray for each other, to encourage each other. Uh, We're we're going to be less satisfied with long discussions that never uh, talk about the Lord. We, what we will desire is that there is more talk about the things of God. What, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in your life? Uh, those kinds of things. What are you learning? What, what are you being reminded of? What is new? How has God answered prayer? Whatever may happen to be. And so that's, that's how a mature uh, church um, kind of expresses itself. If, if you ever visit a church, let's say you end up moving or, or whatever the case is, and you visit a church, and as you're in that church, there is never any talk about the Lord among the people. There is never anyone talking about how God has answered prayer. You, you're you going to notice that. You, you're going to recognize that. It doesn't necessarily mean that the church as a whole, that everyone's running around living in deep sin, though they may be, but you're just going to notice that there's a difference, I guess you would say, in the spiritual temperature. And it's got nothing to do, again, with how they feel when they're singing, when they gather together for corporate worship. Because that that can be... Uh, fabricated even by the individual they may be sincere but they're still in a sense faking it i wouldn't accuse them of faking it but they're 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 trying to generate a feeling through maybe the singing instead of in their regular living and maturing and growing uh, as an individual so corporately the church is to be god's spiritual community it is the body of christ it is the place that god dwells by his spirit and so even though we talk a lot about god living in us One of the things that Paul writes about uh, here and in Corinthians and other places is how non-believers will see when they they gather with us, as we're gathered, they will recognize that the Spirit of God is here. It is more easily seen in how we relate to each other than it is how we are when we're alone. Now, it doesn't mean that's not important because that is. But again, we collectively uh, are going to be used by God In the same way that God desired to use Israel, back in the Old Testament, to reveal himself to the nations. And so God seeks to reveal himself to others by what we are like corporately. And so that's why uh, these things are worded in this way. So again, individual believers, as members of this body, are to manifest the Spirit's presence. Uh, We are to avoid anything that might grieve the Holy Spirit or hinder his operation. Also, we've noticed that there's no explicit mention uh, is made of believers needing to ask uh, God to fill them with the Spirit. So again, we're not saying it's sinful if a person asks for that, but there doesn't seem to be a need for that. Since the Spirit of God already lives in us, okay, we believe that. That when a person becomes a believer, when they're regenerated by God, God the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life. Uh, all of us at the moment of conversion are baptized or are immersed by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. That All that takes place at our conversion. So since the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of God, already lives in us, <clears throat> our major effort should be directed towards manifesting the Spirit's presence, again, in ever-increasing measure, both individually and corporately, just as believers are to preserve uh, the Spirit's unity and the bond of peace. So again, we're not trying to achieve something that we already possess. We possess the Spirit. So what we should be trying to do, striving to do, is we are living our lives as if the Spirit of God actually lives in us. He does, but that's, that's the idea that's being expressed here. It's not about me trying to get more of the Spirit or trying to somehow grasp more of the Spirit of God in my life. So in general, remember again that the initiative for the filling with the Spirit lies with God. It doesn't lie with us, the believer. God is the one who is going to do the filling uh, in our lives. So again, that doesn't necessarily mean that the believer should not earnestly desire to be filled or even to pray to be filled. But it does suggest that the theology of spirit filling does not adequately reflect a biblical emphasis. And so that's why through the years you've never heard me emphasize this thing that we as as believers, we really need to pursue to be filled with the spirit. Uh, What we've emphasized is understanding the word of God, being immersed in the word of God, being saturated with the Word of God, seeking to live in obedience to the Word of God, seeking to encourage each other to live in obedience to the Word of God. We would also say to live by the Word of God, to pray for each other that we would live by the Word of God and live out the Word of God. That's been the emphasis. The emphasis is not on what we can accomplish on our own because we never say that we can do this, but we are to make these efforts and we do so in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And that then is the process of how we are going to mature as believers. Our character matures. And, and, and that then, as we are growing then together uh, in doing that, then what will take place is the Spirit of God will be made manifest to others in the same way that you can see in the life of an individual a maturing process. You know, we see young people mature physically. We see them mature intellectually. Uh, we see them mature emotionally. Uh, hopefully their believers will see them mature spiritually so what we do then as a body of believers is the goal is for us to mature spiritually the others are going to happen I believe the intellectual and emotional aspect will be evident of the spirit of God living in us because of how we approach life how we approach each other how we approach problems how we approach good times how we treat each other when we disagree and when we don't disagree Um, uh, how we treat each other when we're disappointed or when we're betrayed by each other. All those different things that take place in human relationships is going to reveal a level of maturity, at times maybe a lack of maturity, but the idea, again, is that, that we, as we live this way and we desire to live this way, God is, again, filling us with His Spirit, and again, He manifests Himself to others. So then we have a freedom as believers from the fear of, that we are not filled. Because that was part of the message that was given in the 70s and 80s in many churches is it was presented in such a way that as the, as the one who was speaking, whether it was a pastor or a special speaker, it was kind of presented as if that most of your problems, most of your struggle with sin was due to the fact that you were not filled and you needed to be filled. And of course, that would, that in some, that could generate fear why am I not filled? Why am I not filled yet? I pray to be filled. Am I not praying enough? Am I not praying the right way? Uh, maybe I need to go forward. When, when he asks, who wants to be filled with the Spirit? Come forward. And there's all this stuff that goes on with that, and so we can be delivered from that fear. Remember, you belong to God. You, you've been accepted by God uh, through Jesus Christ. That's not going to change, ever. He has given you his Holy Spirit. He's not going to take the Holy Spirit from you. And so there's a lot of things we can, in a sense, relax in our Christian life. What I mean by that is not that we somehow relax and we don't pursue holiness, but we're free from worry that somehow we've not put ourselves in the right position. And that kind of, it still goes on at times. There's there's some lingerings of that kind of theology that affects Christians. And and it can cause many to kind of give up. They don't give up on Christ. They don't renounce Christ. But they just kind of... It's like they're just going to hold on till the Lord returns or till they die, because it's like they're, I'm not really going to advance in my Christian life because I just I don't have that, you know I'm not like so and so I wish I could be like so and so but I'm just that's just not me, you know I guess I'm not going to have that. So again, we have the freedom from the fear that we're not filled. Uh, well, we have freedom from the fear that we're not surrendered enough. We have free from the, uh, we are free from the fear that we have not had the right kind of spiritual experience. So freedom. The freedom that I'm talking about, rather than being needlessly concerned with whether we are spirit-filled, we are advised to live, once again, very simply, obediently and wisely, seeking to manifest the Spirit's presence both individually and corporately. It it, it makes it easier to understand and grasp. There's not this mystical position uh, or mystical thing that I kind of have to grab onto. Uh, I told you that back in, in the 70s and 80s, I, I actually enjoyed a good number of individuals who were really deep into this kind of theology. When those preachers would preach, it was, uh, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, they were going through the scripture like a lot of other good preachers, but they did. it did sound as if they had a closeness to God that I could only dream of. It did sound that way. And... I wasn't sure if I could get it, but I felt somehow closer to God because I heard them. Now, I wasn't depending upon them for this closeness with God, but I mean, I really wanted to have that. I wanted wanted to be able to preach that way. I wanted to be able to preach so people would feel like I was feeling when those guys preached. And it wasn't the charismatic thing where everybody wants to jump up and down and scream or Bark like dogs, whatever it is that's going on now. But it was—it was, it was really—it was a feeling of, uh, of of warmth, of being together. Just, it was just solid, <laughs> and uh, you know. And, and so I, I just had to realize I—I I can't generate that. I don't talk like those guys. And uh, then the more you read the Bible, you realize, well, wait a minute—that—that's not what the Bible says. I don't. That, there's isn't that. Uh, there There's R.A. Toy. who was a very godly man. And again, as I mentioned before, many of these guys are very godly individuals. But R.A. Toy was the kind of guy that if you met him, let's say that you were kind of hanging out with him a couple of days, he's the guy that he would go to the beach like at 5 o'clock in the morning and then fall on his face and pray for four hours. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not, I don't think I can pray for four hours. I maybe I could if, if, if there was something that was urgent enough. But he was just that kind of guy uh, the problem is that when we meet people like that, and let's just say that he was—and I think he was—genuinely that way, we wanna we wanna mimic them, and we wanna mimic their experience. That's where we get into trouble. We start to evaluate our lives as Christians based on how, what somebody, the uh, what what we perceive about them, and again the way the way they feel or what have you, and we wanna move away from that because again that can cause a lot of believers to become discouraged. What's interesting is when you read through the Bible and you read about those who were definitely spirit-filled, in those instances, the individuals who received what we call this filling, they were not struggling Christians who repented of their sins or otherwise seeking to escape a substandard Christian experience. That's not what they were. The subjects of those who are filled with the spirit were rather very simply committed, obedient Christians in the context of whatever ministry they were involved in. Not in a single instance is the filling with the Spirit in Scripture linked with repentance or confession of sins. And when I was studying through that, I, I actually was stunned by that. Because my whole life I had heard that there was this connection. And when I came across that statement, I said, man, I need to go back and look at this. That's not, there's no way that's not, that's not right. Yeah, it is. Not one single instance is there that connection with the two. It is unclear, then, that on what basis these elements, the repentance, confession of sin, and being filled with the Spirit, are linked in all the various circles where this thing is being taught. So again, this is, we're not saying that Christians are not to confess their sins. We are. We're required to do so. We are, in order to enjoy continued fellowship with the Spirit and with other believers, we're required to confess our sins. We want to confess our sins. But again, that's not a prerequisite to this somehow magical sense of being filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> so, then, the general framework for understanding the continual filling of the Spirit in the individual life and the corporate community is one of spiritual growth and maturity and one of Christian ministry. So, the one who is filled with the Spirit, or the community, the church, that is so filled with the Spirit, exhibits an increasingly wise lifestyle. Once again, it comes back to a, a very simple understanding of the basic truths. What the word of God is giving to us. Again, it includes grateful worship, God honoring relationships, meaning again, the way we treat each other, the way we treat each other in church, the way we treat each other in private, which includes the way you treat your husband and your wife, your children and your parents, as well as other relatives as well, and then those who you're just friends with in the church. The way we treat each other, we want that, those relationships to be God honoring in every way. Again, uh, there's there's never the issue of carnality is never linked with someone being or not being filled with the Spirit. So a simple way to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because we keep talking about being filled, being filled, being filled. And sometimes you go, okay, well, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, let's go back to the verse. Just as alcohol, when, when someone drinks alcohol, they're strongly influenced by the alcohol. Alcohol strongly influences a drunk person. So it's really nothing more than the Spirit strongly influencing the Christian. That's what we're talking about. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be influenced by the Spirit of God so that I treat others with greater respect, greater kindness, and greater patience. God is going to fill me with His Spirit. So that happens. My job, my responsibility, is to follow the leading of the Lord. My responsibility, and that means to follow what the scripture says. I don't have to ask God to fill me with his spirit so I can be more patient, let's say, with Robert. God, I, my, his spirit already lives in me. God already has the spirit there to influence me. And as I do the normal Christian disciplines again, the simple basic things of reading the Bible, studying the Bible, being involved in prayer, uh, being with other believers, uh, whether it's the context of worship or what have you, that influence, that encouragement, that strengthening, then the Spirit of God will continue to do its work in me and I will become more patient. I will become more gracious. That's going to happen in my life as a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it reads this way, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ." I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Again, he's not saying that they are in a special category uh, by themselves. What he simply tells them is, he says, I want to speak to you as spiritual people, or we could add spiritually mature but I cannot, I have to speak to you as fleshly people, carnal, because you are babes or you are what? Immature in the Lord. That's what it is. That's, that's the whole idea there. Kind of goes back again when we we're raising our children and as our children get older, uh, normally what happens is the way that we discipline our children changes in time. And, and there may be times with certain ones that we may have to say to them something like, well... I wanted to treat you this way as if you were mature, but you've proven that you are not. So now we have to do this. In other words, I I have to treat you, we we don't really mean like a baby, but we may say I, I have to treat you like a baby because you've not yet learned some of these basic things that you should know by now. You're this age. It's ridiculous that I have to do this for you, but this is what I have to do because you've proven yourself to be immature. So that's all that he's talking about here. His desire for these individuals, because remember this church in Corinth, they had all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. The main reason they were experiencing these problems and they were unable to overcome them is because of their immaturity. The immaturity in understanding the word, and that was linked to their immaturity in applying the word. Because that's where maturity comes in. Maturity is not just knowing more about the Bible, we do want to know more and understand it better, but maturity is then living that out, applying that. that that's where that change takes place in my life, and then that wisdom and that uh, maturity is revealed uh, as being one who, who has the spirit of God living in him. So again, this is not a third category of Christians where you have the, you know, the immature and the mature, and then there's carnal. No, that's not what he's talking about. In fact, remember in the world, there's really only two categories of people. You have believers and non-believers. You can say it any way you want, but in the end, there's only two categories. And so we acknowledge that among believers, again, there are different degrees of progress in the maturation process. There are those who are more mature than others. Those who are less mature than others. It It really comes down to just that. It is not those who have somehow reached that point to where they've learned how to completely surrender their lives to God. And the rest of us can only hope to be there someday. Because that's kind of how it can be, it's been presented. Not, again, not so much as strongly or as often as it used to be, but again, it still lingers. And a large number of people that are somewhere between probably 50 and 70, without knowing it, that was a large part of the Christian life that you were exposed to. That, that's, that was, was especially if you were kind of Baptist, that was what was being, coming down the pipe at us all the time in various forms. You know, the books on how to have the, and how to live the victorious Christian life. That's what that is. You know, how to how to surrender to the Lord and you know, how, how to, you know, there are books about going to the cross and, and uh, leaving your burden there and really following Christ. And there's a lot of great truth in those things. But what we have to be careful of is that we don't somehow begin to slip into this idea that, Until I get to this point, which, again, is some kind of a mystical thing, some kind of a mystery that I just haven't yet arrived. Um, But uh, so it's not that at all. So, again, more importantly, the impression that there is a third category of persons, carnal Christians, uh, uh, that the carnal Christian can somehow shed their substandard experience by merely confessing their sins and being filled with the Spirit, that's really unduly simplistic to try to get out of the category of being carnal or being fleshly, that you just have to confess all known sin, and then kind of, they don't say wait for it, but the idea is that you're, and they don't say empty yourself. Those are some of the words I'm using to help better explain what they're talking about, because sometimes people will try to couch their language, in more biblical language, which is good, but we still have to evaluate what is being said or taught. Uh, and, and we need to be freed up from the emotional pressure that can come upon the believers because they're not, again, they're not in the in group, whatever that is. And so it's almost as if it's the same kind of thing that we recognize when we look at some of the really bad teaching that's within charismatic circles. It's the same idea. Uh, in some places, they will teach that speaking in tongues is the evidence of salvation. It's, it's not biblically, but there are those who teach that. So then within those churches, you have those who are in and those who are out, those who can finally when I can finally speak in tongues, then, then I'm, I'm going to have the assurance that I'm saved. In other circles, they don't necessarily teach that you have to speak in tongues to be saved, but if you really want to be spiritual, if you want to, if you want to be close to God, if you want to be led by God, then, then you need to maybe speak in tongues. And so you have individuals who try, you know, they, they try to learn how to do that and, you know, all kinds of things go on with that. But there's always these separate categories of people and it's always based on some kind of an experience and not really based on, Obedience to the word of God. Go back in the Old Testament. David was a man after God's own heart. What was the main thing about David? He wasn't perfect, but what was the main thing? He lived in obedience to what God said. That's what it was. He lived in obedience. Look at Saul. What was, what was Saul's problem? He lived in disobedience to what God said. Go through the judges. Same thing. It always comes down to those things and not some you know, experience uh, or, or mystical thing that we can have. So again, Paul emphasizes wisdom, he emphasizes faith, he emphasizes Christian character, um, and all of these are biblical references to a person being filled with the Spirit or being full of the Spirit. So, the slow road to Christian maturity entails a process of mental and spiritual renewal, as well as practice, not merely prayers to be filled with the Spirit. God requires you and I to be active. God is working in us to conform us to the image of His Son, Christ. God doesn't need us to cooperate with Him for that to happen. But God has established the relationship we have with Him that entails you and I putting forth that effort, and that we are together with God, living in obedience, doing what He says, and and that is done for our benefit, for our joy, uh, and for His glory. So, to, so true discipleship then is a complex and long-term process. Even though for those individuals who seem to be growing very rapidly, it's still a very complex and a long-term process. Uh, we're, 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 we are continuing, in a sense, to arrive. No matter where we are in our Christian life, we know that we have much, uh, much, much further to go. We, we are aware of our sin and how deep our sin is. Believers, as the Scripture says, are to work out their own salvation knowing that God is working in them to complete his good purposes. So believers then should be advised to shed this undue preoccupation with whether they are filled with the Spirit, focusing rather on living, obedient Christian lives that are increasingly characterized by the Spirit's presence. Let me read to you, uh, there's a a theologian by the name of B.B. Warfield, he's dead now, Um, but he wrote this about all of these things. He says the Spirit of God dwells within us in order to affect us, not merely our acts, in order to eradicate our sinfulness, not merely to counteract its effects. The scripture's way of cleansing the stream is to cleanse the fountain. They are not content to attack the stream of our activities. They attack directly the heart out of which the issues of life flow. But they give us no promise that the fountain will be completely cleansed all at once and therefore no promise that the stream will flow perfectly, purely from the beginning. We are not denying that the Spirit leads us in all of our actions as well as purifies our hearts, but we are denying that his whole work in us or his whole immediate work in us or his fundamental work in us terminates on our activities and can be summed up in the word counteraction. Counteraction there is. And suppression there is, but most fundamentally of all, there is eradication. And all these work one and the self same spirit. So all of that to say that the spirit of God does affect the way that we behave and the way that we act. But our relationship with God and our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not one that's only active to take care of changing our behavior. What the spirit of God is also seeking to do is to purify the source of those behaviors and that's our heart. So as I grow as a Christian, I will begin to act much more patiently than I really am because of the effect of the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God doesn't only affect me so that I act more patient. He continues to work my heart so that I truly become more patient on the inside. So when it comes to controlling anger, it's not only that the Spirit of God affects me so that I'm able to control my anger, though that will happen, but he's also seeking to purify the source, my angry heart, so that I, so that I am then, uh, my, the, my, the inside, in a sense, matches the outside. When you look at Jesus from on the mountain where Jesus talks about adultery, it is good that the Spirit of God affects us so that we don't commit adultery. But the Holy Spirit, God is not happy with just that. What he wants is a heart that is thinking purely. Well, that's not necessarily revealed just because we abstain from adultery. That's a good thing. But he wants our heart to stop lusting. And that's something altogether different. And so the spirit of God, which indwells us, continues to work in us as we interact with each other, the word of God and prayer, and God continues to change the heart. So those two things match up. That's that long, complex process. It's not where you just confess your sin and suddenly you feel spiritual and now you no longer lust. It it doesn't work that way. And it won't work that way until the Lord returns and sin is completely eradicated. So again, Paul exhorts the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, meaning he wants them to keep on exhibiting those qualities that are characteristic of the Spirit. What Paul calls elsewhere the fruit of the Spirit. So what we then should desire as a congregation is what we desire to see among us is the manifestation that we're believers. The manifestation that not only is, let's say, Bob more patient and Robert is more patient, all of us are more patient. It's not only that Bob has control over his anger. We all do. It's not only that we're a church that seeks to be pure and that we're not committing adultery, but that we also desire to be free of lust. And we want that to be manifested among each other and to those who come in to be a part of us. That's the natural and the normal progress of sanctification as the believer continues again in obedience to what God says. So when God tells me to be careful with my eyes, when God tells make sure my feet run away from blood shred, bloodshed, all those are those little things that he's telling us to kind of get to our heart, to, get, you know, to stop those things, stop feeding the heart the wrong thing, so that his spirit can continue to work on us on the inside. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, the filling of the Spirit is no special spiritual highlight in the life of a believer. Instead, the filling of the Spirit is the normal experience of the believer as he increasingly strives to live a life that is in obedience to God and his word. So when we so when we hear about maybe someone in our midst who's struggling in a particular area of their life, we don't pray, "Oh Lord, <clears throat> I pray that that Robert just gets to that point where he can just completely surrender to you." What we pray is, Lord, I pray you help Robert to want to obey what you say, Lord. If there's anything that I can do to help to encourage him to live in obedience. If there's anything that's causing, that's leading his heart astray that causes him to not obey or to not want to obey, it, it boils down to something we can wrap our hands around. I, I can understand that. We're not just waiting and hoping for the day that he finally surrenders to God because when is that ever going to be enough? When do we ever know I'm completely surrendered? How do we ever know that we have ever arrived there? But we can measure and see our obedience to God. So Paul's exhortation then is to continue Or to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Paul is encouraging encouraging us to keep on acting like spirit people. To display those character qualities that are typical of our new life in Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is, of course, a small part of the biblical teaching on a variety of roles that are exercised by the Holy Spirit. But that's what we're looking at here in this chapter of Ephesians 5. The Spirit of God is a person of the Godhead and he lives in every believer. He teaches us. He guides us. He provides comfort, boldness, assurance, with many more things besides. He gives us spiritual gifts and gives us to every believer. He develops the fruit of the Spirit in every believer. Thus it is important for us to appreciate the various ways in which the Holy Spirit blesses us and helps us. So our prayer is that His ministry will continue to produce the fruit of God in us, the, God, the, the fruit that God desires for His glory. And our good, that we may live lives that are full of His presence. So, a right understanding of the Bible stresses the need for believers to have their lives marked by these characteristics and qualities that distinguish those who are regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul wants believers to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Again, it's the normal, expected activity of the obedient believer. There is no scriptural basis for believers to seek a special experience called the filling of the Holy Spirit as part of their progressive sanctification. One academic says this, believers should be advised to shed any undue preoccupation with whether they are filled with the Spirit, focusing rather on living obedient Christian lives that are increasingly characterized by the Spirit's presence. In fact, I'm one of those that believes that if we focus on the wrong thing, on the experience, it kind of moves us in a position away from personal responsibility. Because we're waiting for that thing to happen inside of us. Obedience has a lot to do with what you and I do. And what we choose to do each day. Therefore, many are wrong when they argue that the filling of the Spirit is the secret of sanctification. And that's how that has been portrayed for a long time. That that was the secret to sanctification. There's no secret. If there is a secret of sanctification, it can be summarized by one word. Obedience. And we ask God to give us the strength and the help that we need to desire as well as to actually live in obedience to what he says. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for your word and for the teaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that if any of us here this evening are kind of stuck with this idea that we have to get to a certain point to where we're able to confess enough of our sin and allow ourselves to be in a position to surrender to you so that, Father, we can somehow be magically transformed to becoming super, super sanctified. We pray, Lord, that you would free us of the fear and the tyranny of that kind of thing. Help us to understand, Lord, that it's, it's, it's a basic uh, idea that's presented throughout the Scripture, one that we can all understand and grasp. One that you're able to, uh, more than able to help us in our lives. in simply living in obedience to what you said. Helping us, Father, to, to recognize the, the great simplicity of that. Even though, Lord, it's simple, we know that it's not easy. We know that it's hard because our hearts have been darkened by sin for so many years. And even though, Lord, many of us here have been sanctified or been justified by the Spirit of God, it seems that sin continues to linger. We thank you that we've been freed from the power of sin. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to continue to become much more free from its influence because too often, Father, we return to it. Help us, Father, to manifest the fact that we are filled with your Spirit, that you have filled us and that we are simply to live our lives and reveal the work of your Spirit in us. So, Father, we thank you again for your great love for us and for the the teaching of Paul. We pray, Lord, that this would help us in many ways. That Lord, it would deliver us again from, from fear, deliver us from wasting our time and giving us, Father, the freedom that we need to live in obedience and to enjoy the life that you've given to us. We do thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.